For several weeks now, we've looked at the different gifted men that God has given to the church. First, we looked at the apostles and prophets, which were special offices given for a specific purpose and a specific period of time. And when those offices fulfilled their function, they ceased to exist. The next group of offices is those that were given as continuing offices. They still function today, the office of evangelist and the office of the pastor teacher. And so we looked at the roles and the qualifications of each office so that we might have a better understanding of the church of Christ. We've been sort of looking at the micro level, and so now I want to return to the macro level this morning which is why our scripture reading was verses 1 through 16 at the beginning of the service. This entire section of Ephesians concerns the unity of the church and the growing up of the body of Christ. That's the focus of Paul's writing here. The reason for these offices in verse 11 is to promote the end goal of the church, is to promote the unity of the church that the church would be built up into maturity by the ministry of every believer. And so let me just read that section, verses 11 through 16, to us once again this morning. And this is the section that we'll be focusing on really from 12 to 16. It says this, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. In our passage, we see here really God's design for church growth, for church maturity. We have a pattern of progression here in our passage. You see, the saints are equipped by the office of the pastor or teacher to do the work of service, and ultimately then the church is built up. This is the reason for the offices. This is the reason for the shepherd, the pastor, teacher. This is the responsibility of the evangelist and the pastor They're to equip the believers in the church to do ministry. And through the collective ministry, the church is built up externally by reaching the lost, and it's built up internally by helping mature one another. The entire purpose of the offices is to prepare believers for ministry, for works. It's a sad reality that many Christians today really believe that the only ministry in the church is to be done by the pastor. Or perhaps if they have a slightly broader perspective, they would think that it's only done by the super spiritual Christian. Many believers just very simply think that their role is to come and sit in the pew in the church 
Sunday after Sunday and listen to the preacher. And then if any ministry or good works is to be done, it should be by the leaders or the super spiritual in the church. In reality, however, the pastor's primary function is to equip the believers to do the work of service so that the church might be built up. I have no doubt that if you were to survey pastoral search committees all over the country, you'd discover that even in those places, those committees, that they would believe it's the pastor's role to do all the ministry of the church. But that's just simply not what the text tells us. If you'll recall, back to verse 7, we're told that every believer is gifted. God has given each and every one of you your own gifting. Verse 7 says, To each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so every believer is to minister in the church, not merely out of some legalistic duty, but out of devotion to Christ. If you are a Christian, you've been bought with the sacrifice of Christ. And not only did Christ die for you so that you might live, but then he went beyond that and he gave you special gifts so that you would demonstrate the life of Christ in your service, both within the church and by your witness outside of the church. And this is ultimately how the church is built. The pastor-teacher equips the saints for the work of service, and then they serve willingly. They serve lovingly and full of joy. And as each member uses their gift for the glory of God, God builds his church. We won't go to the passage in Corinthians, but we've read it many, many times of how Christ likens the church to a physical body and how the body needs every part. There's no insignificant part. And so we see that truth here again. Every part comes together and uses their gift and serves, and this is ultimately the manner in which God uses to help build his church and mature his church. Now, in our passage here, we see the word equipped. It really means to perfect, okay? It's an interesting word often used in ancient times that's referred to setting a bone back in place. That's how it was commonly used. It can mean to be restored or made complete. And so these offices exist so that the saints would have their principles, their priorities, and their precepts set in their proper place so that they can minister in loving obedience to Christ effectively and efficiently. Now, the immediate purpose of the office within the church is to prepare the saints for the ministry God has called them to, which means you all have a ministry. Now, I can't tell you what that ministry is because God gives a unique heart to each and every individual. God places desires and burdens of different sorts in the heart of believers. But for instance, some may just want to help. Maybe they want to be in the background. They want to set things up and they want to serve God and the body that way. Maybe they have the gift of helps and that's their ministry. Whatever it is, the life of Christ shines through the believer in the way they serve others. Now, for others, it might be in their giving. Some people have the gift of giving. For others, they may have an encouraging gift, and they just simply like to come alongside other believers and constantly encourage them. Whatever it is they're doing, the pastor's role is to help equip them for their ministry, and then as they do that ministry, the whole body of Christ 
is built up. In fact, one sign of a healthy church is when its members come to the leadership and they say something like, you know, I have a burden on my heart to do this kind of ministry or that kind of ministry, and the leadership responds and says, okay, well, let's get you equipped, let's bless you and let you do it. The ministry that comes out of the church should never be just to merely attract numbers. It should be born out of a deep need to shepherd the flock, and it should be born out of God having place burdens in your hearts and you coming and saying this is something I'd really like to do this is a particular way I'd really like to serve and that all be service unto the Lord and the whole church is matured and built up in that every Christian ought to ask the Lord to give them a heart for some type of ministry what we understand is that God gives you gifts and certainly we understand that God doesn't give you the gift to keep to yourself right It's meant to be used in the body of Christ. I think there's no healthier church than when people are being equipped and fulfilling their ministries out of love for Christ and one another. And it looks different from church to church to church. Whether you have a church of 7,000 or, like us, a church of a handful, you should see all of this eventually functioning And if you don't know what to do, then that's when you come to the pastor and you say, Pastor, I really have a heart to serve our Lord in the church, but I just don't know what to do. And he'll help you through discovering what the Lord and how the Lord may want to use you. That's the role of the pastor, to help you see what the gift of God in your life may be. And so there's no healthier church than when people are being equipped and they're fulfilling their ministries out of love for Christ primarily and then secondarily out of love for one another. And then pretty soon you have a thriving, growing church because that's how God has designed the church to operate. And in the end, it promotes unity and it brings maturity to the church. And so when everyone is serving each other, loving one another and dedicating themselves to service to the Lord, we know that that is a place where the saints are being rightly equipped, where the body is building up, where the people are maturing in the Lord, and it's certainly a place where unity is being promoted. I want to turn to the book of Romans quickly, so if you want to turn there with me. Book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Let's just read from verse 1. Paul really describes the reality of this equipping and dedicated service from the saints here, which we're getting from our passage in Ephesians. Let me read that to you from verse 1, just a handful of verses here. Paul says to the Romans, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God which is your service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, And all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are in one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ 
according to the grace given us, each one of us is to exercise them accordingly. And then he continues on and he lists several of those. For the one who teaches, you teach. For the one who has ex exhortation, ex does exhortation. He who gives with liberality, he says. He who leads with diligence. If you have the gift of mercy, that you do so with cheerfulness. Verse 10, he goes on to say, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so you see, the pastor-teacher equips, and the saints use their ministry and engage in their ministry, and ultimately the body is built up. As you use your gift in the church, it edifies and builds up others in the church. Maybe you have... A serving gift that I don't have. And when you serve others in the church, it's an example to me who maybe doesn't have that gift. And so I can see how to better serve in a way that reflects the goodness of God. And that's how we edify and we build each other up. Maybe someone who has the gift of an encouraging gift. Maybe as you see how they encourage others, what you're really seeing is how to encourage people in a way that edifies Christ and builds them up. And maybe you learn from that. And so as we each operate in our own giftings, we're all matured together. So everyone who serves those within the church, and as you serve those outside of the church, the church grows spiritually, and inevitably God grows the church physically as well. So every Christian should really build their lives around the church. I mean, this is God's design for his people. I mean, after all, you're going to spend all eternity with God's people. And those are the only people you're going to spend eternity with, are God's people. And so if you don't want to build your life around the church here on earth, I'm not really sure you could convince me that you want it in heaven either. The church is designed to be a beautiful living organism especially when we're devoted to one another in brotherly love, as our passage says here, when we're rejoicing in hope, when we persevere in tribulation, all being equipped and fulfilling the ministries God has for us. Ultimately, we see a thriving, healthy church. Now, in our text this morning, the goal of all of this is really found in verse 16. It says, From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, every joint, that's you and I, right? That's each and every person. 
So the body's being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper work of each individual, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And that's really the ultimate goal. Now let's put our eyes down on verse 13 here. We'll kind of go through these few verses. It says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, the process of equipping and ministry continues and it's designed to continue until the final goal has been reached, until the believer matures to the measure of the fullness of Christ. So when does this end? Well, never on this earth, right? We won't fully reach that until we're glorified with Christ in heaven. And so this is God's design for the church to continue in perpetuity. This is the constant state of the church. The elders equip the saints. The saints do the works that God has prepared for them. And as a result, the church is built up. And through the saints' ministry and the elders' teaching, everyone is matured. And ultimately, like I said, this is completed once we're glorified. And so this should be a never-ending cycle in the church. Now, unity and the knowledge of the Son of God is the goal here. That's why in verse 3, if you'll recall, Paul tells us to be diligent, to work hard, to make it an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, Paul's writing to the saints at Ephesus, right? So we need to understand what he means here by faith. It says, until we attain to the unity of the faith, what's he talking about? He's, he's writing to Christians. So what he's not talking about is saving faith. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So what does he mean by faith there? Well, faith there actually refers to doctrine. It's the substance of faith. Until we all attain to the unity of the substance of faith. Okay, faith here refers to doctrine. He's writing to those who already have a saving faith, and now he's speaking of the content of faith, the doctrines of the faith. And so the pastor teaches to prepare the saints to obtain this ultimate goal. There ought to be in every church body unity of the faith, unity centered around sound doctrine. Unity centered around the doctrines of the faith. It's unfortunate that many Christians could really care less about doctrine, but this is precisely what is necessary to produce a mature Christian. It's necessary to produce a unified church. You can't have a unified church without unity in doctrine. Now, you certainly can have head knowledge of doctrine and not even be a Christian, but what you can't have is a mature Christian without sound doctrine. You can't have it. And you can't have a unified church without sound doctrine. And so God desires that we would all attain to the unity of the faith, of the faith. In other words, that we would be unified around the doctrines of the faith. There were divisions in the Corinthian church, 
that Paul addresses. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 1.10, we read this. He says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. So there's division in the Corinthian church because of this very thing, because they do not have unity in their doctrine. There was disunity because there was a lack of common knowledge of sound doctrine in the Corinthian church. And ignorance, of course, breeds contempt, and really it's a playground for immaturity. So you find a church that's very weak in doctrine, and you're going to find an immature church with divisions much like the Corinthian church. One of the great tragedies and ironies in the church today is really a disdain for even just the word doctrine. I mean, if you say the word doctrine, many Christians just kind of cringe. You know, I don't need that doctrine stuff. I just want to love Jesus. How do you know what Jesus to love if you don't have doctrine? Sadly, many believers really love a Jesus that they really don't know because they don't have sound doctrine. It's a tragedy because sound doctrine is what unifies the church. It's an irony because the ignorance of just what the word doctrine means causes contempt for it. Doctrine just means teaching. You guys know this. We've talked about this. If you're opposed to learning the doctrines of the Bible, then you're really averse to learning the teachings of the Bible. That's just all it means. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. What are those? His teachings, his doctrines. The Bible often speaks of the necessity to hold to sound doctrine. I mean, how can you love Christ if you hate his teachings? How can you love Christ if you hate doctrine? How can you look at the cross and say on one hand, my Lord, my Lord died for me. And then on the other hand, say I want nothing to do with the doctrines of that cross. And yet that is what many Christians do. For the believer, these things are inseparable, the love of Christ and the love of doctrine. It just means teaching. Now, you could perhaps love doctrines without loving Christ, right? You can love the intellectual knowledge without loving the person of Christ, but never could one truly love Christ without loving doctrine. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you... Love doctrine, dear Christian. I'm not asking if you read all the books that we give you. I'm not asking if you've been diligent in reading Pilgrim's Progress. I'm not even asking if you're really faithful in study. Those are all good things, and we all should be doing those things. But do you really love the teachings of the Bible? If not... I would really implore you to open your heart to the word of God and let it change you. Let it mold you. Let it really plumb the depths of who you are. This is what the scriptures do. And let them reveal to you the magnificence of Christ. Let the Bible reveal to you the glories of God and the wonders of a faithful life in his service. That's what doctrine produces truly. 
Paul warns of the deceitfulness in the last day when he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, he says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. It's important that we're unified around the faith, around sound doctrine. John says in 2 John 1, 9, he says, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Paul tells Titus in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, But as for you, speaking to Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. The book of Acts, there was great unity in the church, and there was tremendous growth in the church. We all know this. Everyone looks to the book of Acts, and they say, wow, why can't the church be like that? And generally, they're just asking the wrong questions. But why was there great unity in the book of Acts, and why was there tremendous growth in the book of Acts? I would suggest to you that it is far more simple than it's often made. We're told in Acts 2:42 what Christians were doing that fostered this growth and this unity. We're told what was going on to make this happen. This is the way the church is meant to look. Listen to what it says. If you want to know why the church was growing, if you want to know why they all loved each other and they were serving each other, it says right here. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Well, that's what was happening in the church. The apostles were equipping. The saints were serving and loving, and they were all devoted to God in prayer. That fosters growth and causes maturity. That's a perfect description of the aim of our passage this morning in Ephesians. The leaders were equipping the saints. The saints were working They were breaking bread, and they were all devoted to prayer, and as a result, they were growing and maturing. A church with unity will be one that's unified around truth, which is sound doctrine. The apostle goes even further and says, not only are we to obtain to the unity of faith, but also a knowledge of the Son of God. Again, this is referring not to salvation, but to a complete understanding of what is true and what is accurate through an intimate relationship with Christ. This knowledge of the Son of God only comes as the Christian is dedicated to the teachings of Scripture. It only comes as the Christian is dedicated to a personal life with Christ that includes times of study and developing a life of prayer. And this is a lifelong dedication to the doctrines of our Lord and the disciplines of our faith. But of course, Paul doesn't mean to say that we are going to obtain this knowledge while we're here on earth. It says until we obtain it. And that's going to be at the return of Christ. But until then, we're constantly giving ourselves in this way. And so the equipping happens by the pastor, teacher, the elder, the evangelist, the ministry of the saints is engaged in by every believer and the church is built up and that all continues until Christ returns. As a result of the church that functions this way, we 
see that it matures the Christian. Again, the passage says, until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, the believer is not meant to be a babe forever. I mean, when we think of a newborn baby in real life, you know, we, we, we know that it's only going to be a baby for a short time. He or she's only going to be a baby for a little bit of time. I know we look at some grown men today and we think they're still babies, but we understand a baby is just a baby for a short amount of time, right? We understand that they go from milk to solid food. We understand that they go from wiggling to crawling to walking. They go from a baby to a whatever's next, a toddler, right? And then a teenager, and then at some stage, we expect them to grow up. A 30-year-old baby just isn't something in which anyone should be delighted in. It's kind of a ridiculous picture. If you want to see what kind of damage happens when you let people stay babies for too long, really all you have to do is just look at the current condition of our own culture. We have a culture of a bunch of man-babies. And it's detrimental to the culture. And the same thing is detrimental to the church. We can see the example in the culture. We really have a bunch of whining, kind of self-centered, spoiled babies who can't clean up after themselves. And those are the ones running our country. And you see what it produces. Now imagine that same thing inside the church. Guess what it doesn't produce? Unity in the faith. Nothing good comes from staying immature. Nothing. And the same is true for the Christian. Although for a time we are babes in the faith, I obviously don't mean in age, but when you come to Christ, whether it's you're 40 or you're 30 or you're 15, for a time you're a child in the faith. You're young in the faith. And we understand that about our faith. But then there comes a time where we have to grow up. I mean, there comes a time where we have to go from drinking the milk of the word to the meat of the word. And the writer of Hebrews addresses this very issue of maturity. In Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, he says this. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of only milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their sense trained to discern good and evil. He's telling them to grow up. Every Christian should be actively growing in their faith to eventually understand the more profound things of the faith and get past some of the elementary teachings of the Christian walk. Everyone starts as babes, but they should finally mature. It's sad to see a Christian who's been in the faith for 30 plus years and really is still just an infant. Romans 8:29 says, "For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be firstborn 
among many brethren. It's God's purpose and plan that we become mature and that we become conformed to the image of Christ. And so we should be a living reflection of Christ to the world around us, which means we have to grow up. Christ was obedient to the Father, and if we're supposed to imitate Christ, we ought to be obedient. Christ lived a life dedicated to holiness. We are to live a life dedicated to holiness. We are to grow up, the text tells us in verse 15, into all aspects, into him, which requires maturity. I would suggest to you this morning that the key to spiritual maturity is really a growing, intentional relationship with Christ. As we grow in our relationship and dependency on Christ, our fellowship with Christ is deepened and the Holy Spirit continually works in us to sanctify us. Again, I don't mean just growing in mental acknowledgement of the Christian faith. This all has to be part of a deeply and truly dependent relationship with Christ. It has to come from a genuine surrender to Christ. You can spend your whole life trying to be mentally obedient, but if you leave that part out, then you're going to stay a babe, if even you're a Christian at all. We have to be able to, like Paul, say that we are a slave to Christ. Can you say that this morning? Can you this morning truly look at your life and say, I'm a slave to Christ? Maturity takes you to that place. Does Christ just own your head or does he truly own your heart? It's one thing to say I believe in Christ, but knowing that you belong to Christ is an entirely different thing. Can you say this morning with the Apostle Paul, for me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain? He goes on in Philippians 1.22 to say, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So as long as you live here on earth serving Christ, are you engaged in fruitful labor? He says, I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having to desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. We, we get that, right? Better to be with Christ than stuck here on this ball of sin. He says, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Are you a slave to Christ? see, God desires that we all mature, that we get to that place. Wherever you are this morning, God wants you to grow from there. The goal is to mature from where you are until you get to the faithful end. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that we all with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And so you're meant to be being transformed continually from glory to glory as you obey and serve and love and are being built up and being matured. 
We're no longer to be children. We come to verse 14 this morning and we see what all of this produces when the gifted men equip the saints for the work of service of God has for them as the body is being built up because of those works. When there's unity because of sound doctrine and the body begins to go from milk to meat, we see that it results in the maturity we've been talking about. This is how you get there. Verse 14, as a result, as a result of all of this that Paul's been saying, we are no longer to be children. What are children in the faith like? Well, he tells us, he says, children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful skimming, scheming. But this is why becoming a mature Christian is so vital when you are adequately equipped and when you know what the Bible teaches, when you're no longer considered to be a child in the faith, you're no longer at danger of being tossed here and there by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine. So many Christians live an anxious life riddled with ups and downs simply because they're children when it comes to their faith. They're never really sure what they believe. They're always asking the wrong questions. They're always concerned about the world's philosophies. And they are like children, never steady in their thoughts. They're always kind of going back and forth on what they believe is right or wrong. And all because they really haven't committed themselves to sound teaching. They just don't know what the Bible says. And they haven't disciplined themselves from a posture of love to find out. Other Christians seem to always look a little more like the world than Christ because they're immature. Maybe they're not so unstable in what they think. Maybe they're not always getting tossed about by every wind of doctrine. At least it seems that way on the outside. But if you were really to examine their life, you discover that because their doctrine is weak, they really are weak as Christians. Perhaps they still hold on to the things of the world when they should be clinging to the things of God. It doesn't take long to discover that. You can open up someone's checkbook or their credit card statement and you can see what TV shows they're watching and what books they're reading and where they're shopping and where they're going to eat. And you can often see whether they're more committed to the world or the word. They lack discipline when it comes to studying the word because babies lack discipline. They haven't developed a prayer life because they lack discipline and they aren't really doing the works of service because they're still needing milk and not meat. They just never really grow into mature Christians who pursue a holy life, loving Christ fully and pursuing obedience to his word and this is how you get Christians who have been Christians and maybe they genuinely are saved but when they're 70 80 years of age they're still babies in the faith you see the goal is to become mature and our text gives us a pattern by which maturity comes first by being submitted to a local church and then being equipped by the leaders of the church and then as you're equipped Seeking to do the work of service that God has for you. Seeking to use the gift that God has given you. Seeking what that gift is if you don't know it. And as this happens, the body is being built up 
And this continues, and it goes on and on and on until unity is being built in the church on the foundation of sound teaching. And the result is that the Christian matures, having true knowledge of the Son of God and no longer being tossed about by every other teaching. Paul continues in verse 15, speaking, he says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. He's starting to sound a little redundant here, right? It's really important. Speaking the truth in love, this phrase really emphasizes preaching and believing the content of the gospel. Not just that you're saved, but the content of the gospel. The true and faithful doctrines of the Christian faith. Believers who are no longer children, no longer able to be tossed about by various teachings, by smooth-talking, flattering men, those believers will be lovers of truth and they'll speak the truth. Paul speaks of the necessity here again to grow up in the faith. In verse 14, he says, we are no longer to be children. And then here in verse 15, he says, we are to grow up in all aspects of him. And so Paul is really pleading with the Ephesians church. He's not trying to just be redundant. He's pleading with them to grow up. He's warning them that they'll be susceptible to all sorts of doctrines and teachings if they don't. The immature Christian is easily persuaded to believe things that sound close to the Bible, but they're just off enough to be deadly. Many Christians get caught up in all kinds of theories today. Strange teachings. I mean, look where we live. We, we understand this, right? I mean, look around at the Christian atmosphere in our own city and look how many Christians have gotten caught up in weird theories and strange teachings and secular philosophies. You've got Christians who would rather spend their time listening to secular conservative college professors philosophize than they are deeply committed to the teachings of Christ. And before long, you've got someone who looks more like a secular professor than a faithful Christian. This is why it's important to grow up. The books Christians read and listen to, the movies and shows that they watch are all indications of where they are in their maturity walk. And Paul says here, it's time to grow up. It's time to put down the things of the world and get serious about the faith, the truth. It's time to leave childish things behind, Paul is saying, and to become mature Christians who are seeking out the deep things of the Christian faith. Are you at the stage in your life where you want the deeper things of the Christian faith or are you just still needing milk? Paul says it's time to move past that stage. Imagine a 20-year-old, maybe I should have said 30-year-old here, but imagine a, an adult who just walks around everywhere in town you see him at Safeway, you see him at these other stores, and he's always drinking milk from a baby bottle. Can you just picture that in your mind? That's a bit ridiculous, right? I mean, I wouldn't put it past the current culture. That's a ridiculous picture. You, you don't, do you even know what you would say to a person like that if you saw them? I, I'm not sure what I would say. 
But at the least, we would think there's something very off, and yet that's effectively what many Christians are like today. This is precisely the sentiment the writer of Hebrews expressed when he says, really by this time you should be teachers. You've been a believer long enough that you should be teachers. Why is it that you're still needing milk? The writer of Hebrews is almost communicating a, a baffledness by that. He says, but you're, instead of you being teachers, you need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles. And that's okay. If you still need the elementary principles of the faith, then get them. But let's start to mature. And as the believer takes responsibility for their faith, as they become equipped, as they grow and begin to do the work of service, through this, the bodies build up. And they grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and everyone benefits together and matures together. The result of this whole pattern for the church is that ultimately we get to the part of the passage where we grow up into all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So all aspects here means a life that is Christ-like in every facet, right? All aspects. It's a comprehensive, complete Thorough imitation of Christ, that's the goal, is that you look like Christ. I want to ask you this morning, where are you in that process? Where are you in that process? Are you truly committed to Christ? Are you committed to learning truth, not for learning's sake, but because you love Christ? Are you committed to becoming mature believers? Or are you just sort of playing with God? Is Christ your Lord and Savior? Did he purchase you with his blood? Did he hang on the cross to forgive you for your sins? If your life were to end today, if you don't make it home after church today, would you hear, well done, good and faithful servant? I'll tell you, there truly, truly is no sweeter master than our Lord. He's given us a book that's the only source of absolute truth. And so the question is, will you give yourself to maturing in that truth? He's bought you with his blood. He's given you everything you need. He's given you special gifts. He's paid for your life with his own. Will you commit to maturing in the Lord? It's time that the church grows up that's what paul's saying it's time that we grow up into all aspects into him who is the head even christ as we close this morning we come to verse 16 from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love it's christ who builds the body it's Christ who builds the body. 
as we are faithful to study, as we give time to prayer, as we use our gifts to serve and love one another, the Spirit of God works in us, transforming us from glory to glory. That's His job. And the body is fitted and held together when everyone comes together and does their part. You understand this? Your job doesn't function unless everyone does their part, right? The body of Christ doesn't function the way it's meant to if everyone doesn't come together and exercise the gifts God has given them. The body is fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. And the church that grows merely by number without God is really just a clubhouse. It's not a church. You can have a church of 5,000 people, and if God didn't build that house, it was built in vain. And if you have a house of 10, and God is the one that built that house, then you have a good house. We have our responsibility. Paul tells us that it's time to grow up. We have our responsibility. We are to do the work of service out of our love for Christ and one another. We have our responsibility. We're to actively engage in the one another's, but it's Christ who empowers us, who leads us, and who provides the truth for us. But it's our job to grow up and to mature. The body that would be unified would be a body of believers who are committed to the truth of Scripture, sound doctrine, and the local church. And so as they're equipped, they'll find ways to serve. Each member a part of the body doing its part. Each being a joint supplying what's needed and fitted and held together. They'll mature in the faith because of that. They'll be clear-minded and not always swayed by worldly thinking and clever speeches. They'll speak the truth in love because they love the truth. And they'll become those eventually who grow up in all aspects of Christ. And so I would encourage you, wherever you are this morning, it's time to grow in your faith. It's time to grow in your faith. Some of you maybe have been stagnant for a little too long. And so wherever you are, it's time to grow. A Christian that stops growing is really a dying Christian. There's no such thing as stagnation in the Christian faith. We've all heard the example of a burning ember and a bunch of coals, right? And it's a decent illustration. What happens when you pull one single coal away from the pile? What happens to it? It burns out. And that's exactly what happens in the Christian faith. And so the reality is you're either burning hot or your flame is being stamped out. And there's nothing more that the enemy would love than to separate you and kill the flame inside you. And so it's time to grow up. Let your heart swell with love for our Lord. I mean, look at what he's done for you. I mean, really, consider what Christ has done for you. We don't want to be ruled by our emotions, but how can you think of the cross and not experience good godly emotions. Look at what such a great salvation you have. The God of the universe condescended to become a man. He was pierced through for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. The chastening for your peace fell on him. 
And it was by his wounds that you were saved. That's what he did for you. So will you not follow that Christ more deeply? When you pick up your Bible at home or when to come to church, it's not merely a book of intellectual truths. It's a book not of meaningless platitudes and cliches. That book you have in your hand drips with the blood of Christ. You having that book cost his life. It's a living book. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What a book. What a God. What a Savior. It's time to grow up. Let's pray.